0: Welcome to Spies of London with me, Paul Detman. So hopefully you're enjoying this new episode format now. I think it's much better organised, easier to follow, more engaging, all the rest of it. And the reviews seem to be showing that too, so I'm going to keep it going for a few more weeks. This week I have news that my Mayfair Spy Walk is now available for you to download and keep. So you can get access to the Mayfair Walk with a detailed route guide, step by step instructions, maps, photos, all the rest of it and the entry price is for your whole family or household so you can all walk the route together as a self-guided walk or stay at home and look at the pictures and never venture forth out of your house if you are so inclined as to be honest I am. If you would like to see the Mayfair walk, take a look at what's involved, how you can get hold of it there is a new website for the purpose called virtualhistorywalks.com all one word virtualhistorywalks.com which I will also put in the show notes. This week we are looking at why espionage, why am I interested in espionage, why are you interested in espionage, and what's it all for. There's no detailed book review this week, but we are looking forward to some other books that are coming soon. And of course the factoids. The first factoid for today is when George Smiley and Roddy Martindale meet by chance outside Hayward Hills Bookshop and Trumpers in Curzon Street. They are meeting at a location known well to John le Carré. His office at Leckenfield House was in Curtin Street at the time. It is highly likely that when John got inspiration for this scene, he was on a lunchtime walk. I imagine him buying a sandwich, but in those days few people bought a fresh sandwich every day, preferring to bring their own from home or eating a cooked meal in a restaurant if they were more senior, which John wasn't at the time. Therefore, I am working hard to establish whether John really was buying a sandwich when he had the idea for that scene at the beginning of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So this week, a more reflective piece on my reasons behind getting into espionage, spy fiction and Cold War studies in the real world. I think this might be interesting to some of you because it might help you think about why you got involved in James Bond or John le Carre or Len Dayton or whoever it happens to be. So I started thinking about this and I thought, what is it about espionage? And I realised that I find it entertaining and I've approached the walks as a entertainment, as a a tourist activity for people who are either just slightly interested or very deeply interested in spy fiction and real world espionage. So I'm trying to answer here the question, why is espionage entertaining? And I do emphasise entertaining. I see it, or at least I saw it primarily as an entertainment and only in recent years have I come to see it more as an academic study area in terms of, you know, finding out What really happened and why it happened, and why it's relevant to us today. So, a more philosophical look this week at the why of this podcast and the why of my walks. I know I find it interesting, and my Airbnb walks came about almost by accident when I applied to deliver their walks when they were launching the site. And when they came back and said, Yeah, this sounds really cool, I kind of got into a position where I had to see it through to the end just to see if I could do it, to see if it would be successful. And I was as as anybody when I found out there was huge demand for these kind of espionage activities. People were actually prepared to pay money and come around London with me, listening to what I had to say about the real world spies and the activities and events that went on in the buildings that we were watching and looking at. So I didn't even know if I could do it until that first walk and it took many, many walks over many, many months to relax into it. And so I thought, okay, why walking and why espionage? Well, the walking part is easy. Much of my life now and all of your lives is spent sitting at a laptop writing emails to people you never meet, having phone calls or Zoom meetings with people you've never met and you only know through the screen. And even more so this year with the pandemic, as more of us have been working at home and being stuck in our houses for longer, we're becoming even more sedentary, less active and more disconnected from the real world of pavements and parks, which to me, that's what London is. Yes, it's historical old buildings and so on but it's the stone pavements, the leafy parks that make London, London for me. Walking is a natural exercise, perhaps the first after we left the swimming oceans, and it helps the mind to relax. It's very good for you physically as well as mentally. And London, with its constant traffic problems, just like any other major international city, has been a walker's city since it was invented. So the walking is obvious. It's relaxing, it's good for you. It gives you the time to ponder what you are learning on the walk, and it allows you to ask questions directly to me, which I can answer directly to you. So that's why I like walking. Of all of the walks I could have done, you know, the obvious one, Jack the Ripper, there are so many people offering Jack the Ripper walks every night of the week, three times a day in London, 24-7. London and crime go together, but it's been done to death. And there are many, many people better and more knowledgeable than me about Jack the Ripper and all the other kind of weird crimes that happen over the last few centuries. But not that many spy walks. London walks do a couple. In fact, my first ever spy walk was a London walk. Um, they choose different locations to me and different stories, but they were quite inspiring to me. And I see them as the gold standard, of course. They are typically blue badge people. Some of them are well-known actors and actresses, and they're just really great. I've always looked up to them. But not that many people offer spy walks, and I thought, well, okay, maybe it's because there's not that much demand, and that part of it was tested... And found to be wrong, I think the number of spy podcasts, the number of spy activities around now, escape rooms in many ways is a spying kind of challenge in a way, it's a cerebral challenge. So I picked Spy Walks because I knew about spying and that was the only reason. I've always enjoyed it. All I know is that from the moment I picked up The Day of the Jackal by Frederick Forsyth when I was maybe 12, I have been hooked on the genre. Uh, For me it was books, Uh, for some reason I always was drawn to books more than films and TV shows. There weren't that many TV shows, there was The Prisoner and so on, but it was either James Bond movies, The Heroes of Telemark, all that kind of war stuff, or it was books. And I was always drawn to the books. You can read them anywhere, pick them up at any time. You don't need any expensive equipment to look at them, which when you're a 12-year-old is kind of important. Of course, nowadays, 12-year-olds have a £1,000 mobile phone. That didn't exist back in the 70s and 80s, of course. So it was always books for me. Uh, It was Freddy, Freddy Forsyth. But as I arrived at my later teens, I started to get tired of the kind of gun-toting, assassin, action-adventure to an extent, and I realised that there was more to espionage than guns and girls and I migrated to John le Carré when I got Tinker Taylor. Now, this had been on the telly, but I never saw the TV show until much later on. But I knew that Tinker Taylor was famous. I was actually put off John because of his name. I thought, what's this French guy got to do about British espionage? Um, Seems a bit silly, but I just thought, there's other books. I eventually got hold of Tinker Taylor and I found it hard. There was no question. It was hard going. There seemed to be no plot. We're jumping back and forth in time. There were lots and lots of names and people. I wasn't really sure what on earth was going on for half of it. There was something about it that felt to me truthful and honest about the world. And it was clearly written either by somebody who had done this, had been a spy, as we call them, or he knew a lot of people who had and he'd really researched it incredibly well. So it felt truthful in a way that Frederick Forsyth never did. And it felt like it was beyond entertainment. There was something behind this story that was not just trying to entertain me. It was trying to send me a message. And I'm not sure then what the message was, but I think I know now what the message was. And the message was, this is absolutely futile. There is nothing good about this and there is no point to any of it, Um, which sounds negative, but you know, By the time George Smiley gets to be 80, I think you can understand his point of view. The John Le Carre world, specifically the Tinker Taylor world, it was thoughtful, reflective, ponderous. It seemed true to me. This seemed like real espionage. This was real life, although it was somebody else's life. Why couldn't it be mine? I was in the process of looking to do my A levels and to get a degree. There's absolutely no reason why this couldn't be me. And I think that the reason it never was me and never will be me is twofold. One is that I'm just too lazy, and the other way is I'm just not interested enough to do it for the kind of money that's available. You know, you can go into any kind of standard office job with a degree and pretty much within a couple of years earn more than a spy earns until you get up to the director level of course. That seems a bit mercenary. I think if I really really believed in it, I could have found a way to do it, but I think John le Carré teaches us that there isn't really a point to this outside of real war, live war. I can absolutely understand fortitude and the SOE activities during the Second World War. I can absolutely understand and I do believe that those activities helped to show shorten the war by a certain amount of time but once the war finishes I, I I struggle to see the point of it all and that for me is the message from George Smiley gives us is why did so many people sacrifice so much for so little so spying was never going to be my career and I went into IT got an office job and, and did that very happily for many years but why wasn't it something else why not true crime why not police procedurals Why not murder mysteries? Well, there's never one reason, but I think that I find particularly true crime, but even crime fiction is just too graphic and is very formulaic as well. The woman dies and it nearly always is a woman, even in the novels written by women. Then the police turn up. Then they find this kind of loner guy, the kind of Christopher Jeffries kind of guy who looks a bit kind of unusual, a bit eccentric. And then they either find out that he did it or they try and pin it on him anyway to to get home early and have some fish and chips. And that's pretty much the story. If you look at Morse, you look at Midsummer Murders, you look at Agatha Christie, that's pretty much what happens every single week. But espionage is, is varied, much more varied than that. There are different types of spy story. It's primarily about trust. Do you trust the other guy? Is he a double agent or a triple? Has he been turned? Am I, are they trying to turn me? And they are either professionals who are highly trained, highly intelligent, really serious about what they're doing, or they are mercenary volunteers doing it for cash and nobody respects those people, even the... British MI6 agents respected the Russian KGB agents, but they did not respect the British guys who sold secrets for money. Or they idealists doing it for a cause. Characters who are larger than life, who anyone would find it easy to respect, if not like, even if you disagreed with their ideals. Espionage for me is primarily about betrayal and double dealing. Others have spotted something in the British character seems to lend itself to spying and snooping, you know, the neighbour behind the curtain. They're not sure if you invited five people or seven people to your child's birthday party, the hand hovering over the 999 button that's been pre-programmed for just such a momentous occasion as this. The curtain twitcher is the spy by another name and such people are part of our society. Although I am, or feel as though I am quite observant, we don't have any net curtains for me to twitch. And if you were stuck at home for six months, as many of us have been, your twitchy tendencies can spiral out of control. So yes, we deride the SS and other secret police forces around the world, but we're not above informal tip-offs for things as trivial as putting a scrap of paper into the bin marked for glass recycling. So the spy's a hero, or was to me and many others. They're the ones who shortened the war. But spying in its purest form is about gathering information. It's not about sabotage. Sometimes it's from people, other people. Sometimes it's through machines and computers and network hacking. But the stories I enjoy most now are the World War II projects like Operation Fortitude, where fake news was planted in the minds of agents working for Germany to put them off the scent, save lives and shorten the war. This is more of an active role. It's a sabotage role, actually. And it's not pure spying. Pure spying becomes almost like an art form. Sabotage is impressive and it's important, but it's more active than pure spying or intelligence gathering. So when we get to the end of the Second World War, the reasons for spying become less easy to understand. What's the point when there's no war to shorten, when most of the knowledge being peddled can be picked up on the internet? When there appears no chance at all of mutual nuclear annihilation, what's the point now, today? And that's where I start to run out of answers. Why work for so little money in such dangerous parts of the world when there is no war? Why now? What is the attraction now? So any number of justifications can be found for continued surveillance into the present day. People like Edward Snowden decided it was totally wrong and had to be brought out into the open and talked about, and perhaps he was right even if his methods were self-harming. Maybe that is the measure of his sacrifice. Maybe, like all the rest, he thought he would never be caught. The traitor always has his own truth, and the traitor, of course, is true to his own ideals, true to himself, and only a traitor in the eyes of others. Philby was no traitor once you understood his worldview. Russia, the side Philby chose, were our friend's once, at the time they were our friends, for a while. Perhaps they could be again 20 years from now, after a world without Putin. Unlikely, but possible. Perhaps we they will only become our friends again if we unite against a common foe. My enemy's enemy is my friend until the first enemy dies, and they become my enemy again. By the end of their careers, both Smiley and Peter Gillum seem to wonder what it was all about. There are moments when I agree with them, yet I am still drawn to espionage. In A Legacy of Spies, Gillam makes a comment about being drawn to the secret flag, and I think that all wannabe novelists feel that pull. Anyone who is drawn to storytelling, or reading of stories, or watching movies and box sets, anyone who enjoys a mystery, anyone who is drawn more to the night than to the day, anyone like that is likely to understand and enjoy spy fiction. And if you like the fiction, then the reality, you soon realise, is far stranger and all the more compelling for being true. So yes, outside of a live war, I do wonder what all the point of it is, but I still come back again to listen to the next story. The more I learn, the more I want to find out. I'll see you back here next week well got a little bit intense there didn't it thank you for that Paul we have factoid number two the title Tinker Tailor came about because in real life John Le Carre's father was a candlestick maker no that's not true but he did steal a candlestick once possibly. No book for you this week but we do have MI9 coming up, we have John Caincross and lots of other great titles. There is a new Caincross book coming out next year, we can't wait for that, we're going to read a different one and get you all the goss on the 5th of the Cambridge Spies the one that nobody really seems to know anything about but turns out he was one of the most important. If you just can't get enough of spying and walking I have my new site virtualhistorywalks.com, that is all one word, virtualhistorywalks.com where you can get the Mayfair walk immediately and you can also register your interest for the Thames walk the MI5 MI6 walk and the World War II Baker Street walk which is all coming soon and if you really want it you can have a bundle with all of those in including zoom meetings with me and a full Cold War introduction which looks back over the last hundred years at why we are where we are. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode please leave a review if you like we do like the reviews even the one star ones help us to be better people and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Spies of London.